with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt to enter but will not be strong enough. After the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then will you stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Luke gives us a little background on what Jesus is doing. He says he's on the way to Jerusalem, which means he's on the way to the cross. And while he's on that journey, he's asked a question, Lord, will only a few people be saved? That's a great question. But where this guy, whoever asked it, wants to speculate, Jesus wants to penetrate to the heart right away. He says, don't worry about how many, whether there's a few or whether there's a lot. You, you, personally, you, strive. You strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but they will not be strong enough. Wait, what? What? I won't be strong enough to enter? To get in? I mean, it is. It's like an arrow that sort of penetrates the heart. Boom, boom, right to your heart. Because I think a lot of people today in our culture say, oh, come on. Everybody, pretty much everybody gets into heaven, right? I mean, except, of course, those few repugnant, truly evil people like Hitler and bin Laden and, you know, this Epstein character. But, you know, most of us, we're all pretty good, right? We're good. And God is love. He's going to say, everybody, come on in. All Jesus says is, no, strive. Strive. Literally, the Greek word there is agonize. Agonize to enter the narrow door because eventually it's going to be shut. And then you're going to come knocking. Let us in. I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. What? That's the second arrow. Right to the heart. Wait a minute. We, we ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. Which ought to really scare us this morning because what did we come for? To eat and to drink with Jesus in the Eucharist and to hear him teach his word. You mean just simply coming to church and showing up and listening to sermons and taking communion isn't good enough? 
No. Not if I don't know you, says Jesus. And then comes a third arrow, right to the heart. That once that door is shut, you might find yourself outside, miserable, weeping, gnashing your teeth because you're looking inside and you're missing out. Zoom, zoom, zoom to your heart this morning. Jesus wants to penetrate every heart here, including mine. And those arrows those are devastating. Now, we can probably do one of three things. Letter A, we could be presumptuous and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus isn't talking about me. Of course I'm good. Or letter B, we could have a panic attack about right now and begin to despair and think, oh, I'm never going to make it. Or letter C, we could do what he says. Strive. Because the door's not shut yet. Okay, what is this striving? Let's back up from there. What does it mean to be saved? If only a few are going to be saved, oh, only a few be saved, what does it mean to be saved? We've got to back up from there because that means heaven, right? It means heaven means to be saved. Back up from there. Well, what is heaven? I mean, what is the goal, that future-focused goal that we've been talking about? Well, look at the way Jesus describes it. He says that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets and people from the north, south, east, and west will all be coming in to recline at table, which means they're coming in to celebrate, that there's going to be a feast. And, and think about it. When do you get together and feast and celebrate, right? With your family and with, with your friends. There are several times in Scripture where Abraham is called the friend of God. That's what's going on here in heaven. It is the friends of God being gathered together to feast and to celebrate. And if you think about it, what makes a gathering, even when we have our own gatherings of family and friends, what makes it so great? It's not just the food and the drink, is it? It's all the love and the laughter in the room. It's that I know these people and they know me and we love each other and, and there's full, it's, it's acceptance. Of course, on the other hand, have you ever been to a family gathering where it's filled with tension, animosity, where maybe there's a little bit of a family feud going on, and here you've got a bunch of people that are supposed to love one another, but they can't stand each other, they don't want to be in the same room with each other, they don't want to talk to each other? That might actually be the definition of hell. But once we understand what heaven is, now we know why we must strive. If we want to be included in this feast of love, then we must love. We must be loving people. And love is never easy. Love, love hurts. Love will often break your heart. And love will cost you. It requires great sacrifice. That's the agony. This summer, on my, our family vacation, we went to Zion National Park, and I did a hike that's called Angel's Landing. Has anybody here ever been to Zion National Park? A couple of you. Anybody ever done Angel's Landing? All right, good for you. It is quite a hike, i got to tell you. It is, you can kind of see it in the picture here. It's that ridge that's sort of right in the center, sticking up kind of in the foreground. That's Angel's Landing. And it is like an island in the sky. 
a glimpse of heaven because once you get up there, it is literally a 360-degree panorama of the entire Zion Canyon, and it is absolutely gorgeous. So I took a little home video while I was up there. Let me just show this to you. Now, it gets the name Angel's Landing because it has been said that it is so dangerous and it is so difficult getting up there. It's so high up that only an angel could land there. Well, if you're going to get there, you have to strive. You have to agonize. There are countless steep switchbacks that ascend over a thousand feet. And that just gets you to what's called Scout's Landing, which is where many people stop because they are afraid to do the last leg. If you want to get all the way up to Angel's Landing, you've got to ascend another 500 feet, scrambling on a very narrow ridge of a kind of a spine as you're going all the way up to Angel's Landing. And on both sides of this narrow ridge, it is 1,000 feet down on each side. What I'd like to do is share with you this morning three lessons that I learned on this hike and how I think it applies to what Jesus is teaching us. Here's the first one. Because it is such a narrow path, in most places it's single file. There's only one-way traffic. Each person has to take their turn. But see, that applies to our life of following Jesus. Each person has to take this path, and you have to take it single file. Simply belonging to the church or to a religious family isn't going to cut it. Those of you kids who are here this morning, as you're growing up, some of you may think to yourselves right now, oh, you know, church and all that, it's mom and dad's thing. You know, they make me come to church, and I'm like, eh, whatever, I guess I got to do it. I got to play by their rules. No. No, you, you must strive. You must choose to follow this path of Jesus. It has to become your own path, not just mom and dad's. Or maybe for some of us as adults, it's been your spouse, right? You know, my wife, she's the religious one in the family. I'm just kind of, you know, along for the ride. Or maybe I, you know, I, I should probably be a good example to the kids. Or, but, you know, if I'm talking honestly, there's a lot of other things that are really important in my life and, you know, whatever. No. Strive. You. You must strive. It is single file. Number two, at its narrowest point, the path to angels landing is about a sidewalk's width. And again, as I said, it's a thousand feet down on both sides at that point. So on the one hand, in the positive, it's actually quite doable. If you can walk on a sidewalk, you can walk it. You can do it. And and that's my point. Jesus says strive, but he doesn't say, but it's going to be impossible for you. You'll never make it. No, it's, you can do it. But on the other hand, a misstep is a quick dive to your death. So what is this narrow path? Well, again, where are we going? We're going to heaven. And what is heaven? It is the feast of love. So this path is the path of love. It is learning how to truly love. We know because what the Old Testament says and what Jesus repeats that we must love the Lord our God and we must love each other, love our neighbor. We must love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. But I don't know about you. I have a cheating heart. 
A heart that is so easily seduced. A heart that goes off to one side of the path, chasing after what I think is going to fill me up and is going to make me happy. And and I, I go running after it right off the cliff into an empty abyss. And on the other side, of course, we know that we are to love our neighbor, that we're to put his or her needs before our own and always look for their good and to do their good. But it is so much easier, isn't it, to put yourself first and to be selfish, to have a selfish heart and to use people for your own purposes and for your own pleasures. And it's easier to hold a grudge than forgive them because that hurts too much to let go of all of that anger. It's easy to trip on that path and to plunge into selfishness and bitterness and loneliness and even hatred. Let's go back one more time to that question asked of Jesus. Will only a few be saved? Who can walk this narrow path of love without falling off one side or the other? Actually, there is only one. There is only one who perfectly loves his Father and perfectly loves us. And what is he doing? He's on a journey to Jerusalem, on a path, taking him to a cross where he will make a total gift of himself. Which brings me to point number three. That while the path is single file and it is narrow and treacherous on both sides, this path is not alone. When I did this hike, I did it with my son, Andrew. Now, I got to tell you, I was concerned about doing this hike because I thought, what am I doing? If something happens to me, I'm going to leave Shelly with these five kids, and then what, you know, what is she going to do? But what really had me worried was the safety of my precious son. And as we're walking, I was pretty nervous, constantly talking with him and pointing to him, step here, do this, do that, be careful, as you can imagine. When we were going uphill, I would walk behind him in case he would slip and I could catch him. Or when we were going downhill, I would walk in front of him in case he would slide. And we made it. There and back, obviously, because we came home from the trip. But I will tell you that, of course, I already loved my son dearly. But this adventure, this adventure together, overcoming and and conquering this obstacle, just bonded us together even more closely. And so this is my point. Like me with my son Andrew, so Jesus is with us. We struggle to walk this narrow, single-file path of love, but we do it with Jesus. And yet a journey with Jesus is always a journey to the cross, He's on his way to Jerusalem, to the cross, and we must go with him to our own cross. And because on the cross, we must suffer, and and we're going to struggle, we're going to agonize. Why? Because that selfish heart, that cheating heart inside of us has to be crucified. It has to be destroyed so that we can truly love. We must go to our own cross so that we can learn to make a complete gift of ourselves, a life that is totally dedicated to God and a life that is given away for the sake of others. This is what it means to be his disciple. And so it goes. We strive and we strive in this life until we arrive at Angel's Landing to heaven, 
to the great feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets, and all the friends of God. And then once we arrive, we will look back, and we will see how we had to struggle, and how we had to strive and agonize, but we will also see that it was all grace, that the entire journey was Jesus. It was Jesus not just showing us the way and being a good example. It was Jesus staying close to us, catching us when we tripped, picking us up when we fell, and giving us the strength to keep going. And it was on this journey that we got to know Him, to truly know Jesus, where we bonded with Him and we became totally dependent upon Him. And it's why he truly knows us. Because we walked with him day after day. 